This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Another book of the Bible that you won't find preached in the recorded ministry of William Branham is the book of Nahum. Although one verse is mentioned five times with an alternative agenda. A portion of the word that came from the Lord through Nahum to Nineveh was snipped out of context to point away from the city condemned by God and towards Chicago, Illinois. The title line of the scroll is found in the first verse and it clearly describes the focal point of the prophecy and the man who spoke who God spoke through when giving that prophecy. Nahum 1.1 says, An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. The book of Nahum falls chronologically between the books of Micah and Habakkuk and foretells the downfall of the Assyrian Empire along with its capital city of Nineveh which lays between the eastern bank of the lays on the eastern bank of the Tigris River that same city was the target of Jonah's mission around 200 years prior though they repented to avoid destruction when Jonah came to proclaim God's wrath some falsely think that Jonah's prophecy failed when Nineveh turned their hearts to God but instead the word of the Lord never fails the destruction was simply postponed the people of Nineveh worshipped Dagon, the fish god of the Philistines. This god, depicted as half man, half fish, was a god of fertility. And as with many gods of fertility, humans, human sacrifice was included in their worship. But Nineveh was excessively brutal in their sacrifice, according to Bible scholars. Jonah's fleeing from God's will was also a flea for his life, but God was in full control. To see a man walking out of a fish in a city that primarily worshipped a god that was half man, half fish, would have con been considered a sign by the city. They would listen to this man thinking that Jonah was sent by the gods, though he was sent by the one true god. Nineveh was one of the oldest and strongest cities in the ancient world. This area 
of land whose ruin lays across the river from Mosul, Iraq, was settled as early as 6000 BC, and by 3000 BC, it had become a, a thriving religious center for the false Assyrian goddess Ishtar, which was a goddess of love, sex, war, and fertility. A statue of this goddess, who is depicted as an eight-star symbol, was sent to Egypt in the 14th century BC. And interestingly, the eight gods of Egypt come together to form the glory of Ra in Egyptian mythology. And Irenaeus condemned the, the Gnostics for incorporating a series of gods into worship by constantly looking for the number seven and associated a series of seven items from seven letters to seven physical objects into their worship. Christ was the fulfillment of the eight under Gnostic worship. It must have seemed like defeat when Jonah returned to his homeland, having stood as one man against the mightiest empire in the world at the time. Jonah seems to have been afraid to stand against them, but when he finally did, God seemingly overlooked their pagan worship and human sacrifice. Jonah went to speak God's wrath upon this ancient empire, but returned to die before seeing its execution. As Nineveh turned back away from God and into idol worship, it would seem like the gods of Nineveh were more powerful than the one true God. That's why the book of Nahum is so important. Nahum shows that God never fails, and that when his prophets speak, their prophecy cannot fail. If a prophet speaks and the words do not come to pass, or if they have to change that prophecy to fit the situation, then that prophet is a false prophet. God's prophecy starts with the destruction of Nineveh and the declaration of his wrath, but also with the reason for postponing that wrath. In Nahum 1, verses 2 through 3, it says, The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. It's Nahum 1, verses 2 through 3. This prophecy is spoken by Nineveh, to Nineveh by God through Nahum, declared vengeance on the Assyrian Empire. No matter how strong they thought their armies to be, and no matter how much they relied upon their ties with Jerusalem for protection from the one true God, they were going to be obliterated. God was going to sever the ties made when the people repented after hearing the word sent through Jonah. And they would be cut off from his people. No more would Jerusalem be bound by fear of this idolatrous city. In the same chapter, chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, it says, Thus says the Lord, Though they are at full strength and many, they will be cut down and pass away. Though I have afflicted you, I will afflict you no more. And now I will break his yoke off from you and will burst your bonds apart. The Lord has given a commandment about you. No more shall your name be perpetuated, perpetuated from the house of your gods 
I will cut off the carved image and the metal image. I will make your, gra make your grave, for you are vile. Behold, upon the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Keep your feasts, O Judah. Fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. That's Nahum 1, verses 12 through 15. Though the idea seems foreign to Christians, most of the pagan centers of worship did not serve just one God. They served many. Each God they served, each life they sacrificed, each abomination they performed in sexual worship to a false deity was meant for provision, protection, and power. The more gods they bowed down to, the more they believed these three to be accessible. While Nineveh held ties to the Babylonian and the Philistine gods, it also held ties to the god of Jonah. But God himself was going to sever that connection by utterly destroying the city. The second verse, second chapter, describes Nineveh itself in all of its glory. Nineveh is believed to have contained the hanging gardens of Babylon, and the city itself was a sight to behold. When Sennacherib, the son of Sargon II, took the throne of Assyria, he made the city truly magnificent. Streets and city squares were laid out around the inner palace without rival. A huge palace built that was 1,650 feet by 794 feet. That's 503 meters by 242 meters. Eighty rooms within the palace were held magnificent wall sculptures. And many of the larger entrances of that palace were decorated with colossal stone figures of winged lions or bulls with the head of a man weighing up to 30 tons. The city itself was seven square kilometers containing 15 gates. An elaborate system of eight canals <clears throat> fed the city water through the hills of the, surrounding the city and a series of aqueducts filled the city with running water. Through the inner walls of the city, Nineveh would seem like a modern-day marvel to any visitor. And watching the chariots race through the inner squares of the busy marketplaces would be awe-inspiring. But God did not care how great the city had become, nor how much power that they thought they had. God's destruction was declared because they had returned to their false gods. In chapter 2, it says, The scatterer has come against you. Man the ramparts, watch the road, dress for battle, collect all your strength, for the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the majesty of Israel. For plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. The shield of his mighty men is red, and his soldiers are clothed in scarlet. The chariots come with flashing metal on the day when he musters them. The cypress spears are brandished. The chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. He remembers his officers. They stumble as they go. They hasten to the wall. The siege tower is set up. 
The river gates are open. The palace melts away. Its mistress is stripped. She's carried off, and her slave girls, lamenting, moaning like doves, beating their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters have run away. Notice that last verse. Nineveh is like a pool whose waters run away. This entire scroll, remember, was a prophecy written against Nineveh for leaving the worship of Yahweh and turning back to false gods. And each chapter in the book specifically mentions Nineveh as the target of this prophecy through Nahum. God was describing his coming justice upon the city of Nineveh and describing how this mighty empire was coming to an end. But during the five times that William Branham mentions Nahum, he only mentions the fourth verse of chapter 2. The rest of the book is left unread. The first verse goes unnoticed. The title line describing this scroll is written to Nineveh. And even the eighth verse of chapter 2 describing Nineveh as the city whose chariots run like through the streets, it's avoided during the ministry. It would seem as though William Branham did not read this book. The first time Nahum is mentioned is in 1933. It's a sermon entitled Elijah. William Branham clearly states that Nahum was wrong and that God could not have been describing Nineveh simply because the normal road for that time was not large enough to hold a chariot. In 1953, the sermon entitled Elijah, William Branham says, When the prophet give 2,500 years ago that missionaries would travel from place to place and go into the nations and wouldn't leave a track behind them coming by an airplane 2,500 years ago, before there was thought such a thing, Nahum, 4,000 years ago, said that chariots would rage in the broadways and look like their headlights would be like torches, and they would run like lightning. And anybody who's ever been in the Oriental countries, their little streets are not much wider than that. A little aisle through them there where a horseman could go down or a carriage. And he said he's seen the broadways. There'd be chariots rage in the broadways. That prophet, through the power of God, looking down through an eye of God, said there'd be, in other words, there'd be automobiles. There'd be airplanes. And men would come in the last days when they'd be heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, despisers of those who are good, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. That's the scripture. We're at the end time, friend. That's William Branham, 1953, Sermon Index 1018. Each time Nahum is mentioned by William Branham, this fourth verse is the only verse mentioned. And each time William Branham rejects the verses that come directly by God, telling Nahum that this prophecy was against Nineveh. 1957, as the eagle stirs her nest, he says, That great eagle called Nahum 4,000 years ago, went up so high in the Spirit of God until he saw Outer Drive in Chicago. 4,000 years later, said the chariots shall rage in the broadways. 
They'll run like lightning. They shall be torches. They'll jostle one against another. 1958, again, another sermon entitled, As the Eagle Stirs Her Nest. He says, Nahum, 25 years ago, saw the horseless chariots here in the broadways. 1960, a sermon entitled, The Ten Virgins. Did you ever think of Nahum when he saw Outer Drive in Chicago 4,000 years ago? But when God speaks through his prophets, his word cannot fail. If God told Nahum that this vision was against Nineveh and that Nineveh was soon to fall, then it was Nineveh who would fall, not Chicago, Illinois. Chicago was not the city filled with human sacrifice, with temple prostitution and a rising force against the ancient world as described in this book. Nahum 3, verses 5 through 7, Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face. I will make the nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at it will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? That's Nahum 5, 3, verses 5 through 7. Notice, God said, wasted Nineveh, not wasted Chicago. One can only assume the reason why Branham avoided this book of Nahum and tried to focus this prophecy against the city in Illinois. But it was to an agenda that suited the purposes of Branham and not the perfect will of God. 1953 was the first time that William Branham sniffed this verse out of context, and interestingly, is the same year of his Chicago campaign that most followers in his ministry are familiar with. This prophecy of doom for Chicago would seem to some as a publicity stunt. But again, God's word never fails. When God speaks, he already knows the outcome because he is the beginning and the end. He spoke through Nahum that Nineveh would fall, and Nineveh did fall. Around 627 B.C., after the death of its last great king, Ashurbanipal, devastating civil wars began to break out, destroying the empire from within. Assyria was attacked by both the Babylonians and the Chaldeans, as well as the Medes, Persians, Scythians, and Sumerians. By 612 BC, the empire was about to crumble, and the fight moved into the city of Nineveh. House to house throughout the city, rebel forces tore through the city with a motive to kill, not to take captive. After conquering the city, they completely razed it to the ground. Any who, would not, who could not escape were either deported or massacred in the countryside. Archeo archaeological digs have unburied many skeletons that were found heaped into piles by, at the site of this massacre. 
and it depicted a horrific sight of bloodshed with mounds of bodies that would have lied rotting in the sun. The Assyrian Empire came to an end at about 605 B.C. But to deny this book of Nahum is to deny that this happened. To deny this prophecy against Nineveh, falsely pointing it to Chicago for some unknown agenda, is to deny God keeping his word. And to deny the word is to deny the God. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Oh.